let's move quickly. If you're here with us today for the first time, we are in a corporate assignment that in the next six months, we are pressing in to pursue the heart of God like never before. We believe that the Lord spoke to us as we closed out 2014, moving into 2015, and he said that there is a grace in the next six months to pursue me, and I will equip you, and I will strengthen you, and I will fortify you, and I will reinforce you, and he has been faithful to do that thus far. And I'm just believing that with every month that we journey into, that those water levels are going to get deeper and stronger. I'm anticipating more times of fasting corporately, personally. I'm excited about our Sunday night service that we're beginning tonight in Mod Q. There are directions on the Welcome Center if you don't know where that is. And it's just going to be a time where our hearts are set on pursuing the face of God, the heart of Jesus, and uh, and stoking and awakening something inside of our hearts. And so we welcome you into that with us. I just want to set the context and the stage for that. Last week, we began preaching on magnificent Jesus. I'm, I'm pushing pause on that because the next two weeks, my assignment's very clear. And uh, that assignment is to preach on what we have called the ministry crew. We, when I say we, the, the senior level staff and I have been working on this now for probably about seven to eight months. And it became very clear to us in the summer of 2014 that we needed to enlarge the, and strengthen the infrastructure of those people in the house who, who are the willing ones, the ones in the house who serve, who serve with their time, who serve with their gifts, who serve with their abilities, and who also serve with their finances. And uh, the Lord has been gracious to us in the past five years. This uh, January, the first marked the five-year anniversary of my and Christy's leadership in the house. And we feel that there are some things that we've got to do in a different way. And one of those things is we must enlarge and fortify and strengthen those in the house who feel called and yoked to us in such a degree that they're willing to give of their time and of their talent. And so, as uh, you know, it's so funny, these brainstorming meetings that we get into, and uh, just to come up with a name for something, it's, it's pretty comical. We probably threw about 50 names up on the, on the board, and uh, ministry squad, ministry platoon, ministry, ministry, whatever. I mean, there was all thousands of different names. What, 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 what name communicates a tight-knit group of people that uh, are moving forward with an assignment? And... Um, ministry team, we didn't like team, on and on and on it goes. And then, and then finally, one of us, it was probably me, threw out, um, <laughs> we threw out, we threw out the, the t- <laughs> we threw out this word crew and it just, and then we looked it up. We looked up the definition and Hank would probably be the best person to give us a definition of what a crew is. Um, but it's a naval term that speaks to a group of guys that function and operate on a boat And uh, not only do they take care of and manage everything that happens on that boat, but they're a tightly knit group of guys that help that thing move forward. And we thought, that's the one. And so uh, again, what I wanna do is I wanna say to all of you who have served and volunteered in this house in any way, great or small, uh, every ounce, every minute of time that you give to this body makes this house what it is. And this ministry, 
called the ministry crew is all about those who are serving in Antioch in any capacity. And so my hope today is that I'm gonna fortify you with a greater philosophy of ministry and what ministry is and why we do it. And my, my hope also is, is that for those of you who have not yet decided to, to sign on and jump in, that maybe the spirit of the Lord would whet your appetite in some way today because we have an orientation that is taking place in two weekends and these guys are dumping loads of time and preparation into it. And it is gonna be great. It is gonna be absolutely off the chart. So turn with me in your Bibles today to the book of Ephesians chapter four. And let's just cover as much ground as we possibly can in the few moments that we have together. Father, we thank you for your spirit that is so alive and so present here in our midst today. And we thank you for the ministry of the word of God, that Jesus is the word. And that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that is rhemed out, that is breathed out from your mouth. And today we want the proceeding word. We want the fresh word. We want the word that is written to be married with the spirit and to come alive inside of us. We want our eyes to be open with revelation. We want our hearts to be pierced with fire. And we want our lives to be changed and transformed. If you can agree with that today, go ahead and shout amen. amen. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. That was good, church. Wow, I'm proud of you. That was strong. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be five things here. Number one, be built up. Number two, until we all reach unity in the faith. Number three, until we reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. Number four, till we become mature. And number five, until we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me just say something very quickly. Verse 12 says that our role, our role as ministers is to equip you. It's to fortify you. It's to strengthen you with teaching, with training, with development, with, with apostolic revelation, with all of the unique gifts that come from the fivefold ministerial offices. Every single one of us who function in one of those capacities, our God-given assignment is to add something to you that actually helps advance you in the specific ministry that God has called you to. This is not about a show and tell. It's not about watch what the fivefold ministers can do. It is about receiving the equipment. It's receiving the artillery, the arsenal, the ammunition. It's receiving something in the natural and in the spirit that is actually going to cause each and every one of our ministries to function at a higher level, at a more efficient level, at a more effective level, at a more anointed level. And so we do that in various ways, but pay attention here to verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that those five things could happen. In other words, we could, we could imply that if every single one of us are not functioning in each of our unique works of ministry, these five things will not happen. The body suffers when each member of the body does not contribute what each member of the body has in terms of his or her work of service. And the word there is a word called diakonia. Diakonia. Can you just say that with me? Say diakonia. 
Here's what the word diakonia means. It means ministry. It means service. Another way of saying this is ministry is service and service is ministry. You wanna be a minister, serve. You wanna find out your ministry, serve. You wanna discover and develop your unique ministry, serve. I've served in children's ministry. I've served in junior high ministry. I've served in senior high ministry. I've served in college ministry. I've served in missions, out, missions ministry. I've served in community outreach. I've made peanut butter jelly sandwiches and coffee for those who have no food. I mean, anything I could put my hands to, I've done setup, I've done tear down, I've done ushers, I've done greeters, and I love it all. And every single part of it has equipped me to a greater degree for my particular work of service. Was I necessarily called to take the trash out? Was I called to be a children's pastor for the rest of my life? No, I wasn't. And it was inconsequential because God was using each of those things to form something in me. I am the greatest advocate of the youth ministry because I was a youth pastor. I am the greatest advocate of the children's ministry because I was a children's pastor. I am the greatest advocate of the worship ministry because I was a worship leader at one point in my life. I am passionate about global missions because God has sent me on global missions. There ain't nothing in this house that you're gonna find that I'm not passionate about because God placed me in some area of service in the past 20, 20 years of my journey. I love it. I am literally fired up about every single thing that goes on in this place and beyond this place. And my heart is to see that every single one of you find yourself, even, even if you're not called there for the rest of your lives, that is, that's irrelevant. What is God inviting you into as part of his training ground? Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, 19 says, hey, you guys, follow me, follow me. Enter into the wake of my service. Enter into the yoke of my ministry and you'll discover your ministry. Do something that you don't think you're called to do so that you can discover and develop the thing you are called to do. And here's what we discover, that Jesus spent time with these guys and after three and a half years, some scholars believe it was only one and a half to two years, but the time that these men spent with Jesus doing things like passing out bread. Now we're gonna get here in a little bit and I'm excited about this, but I wonder if Peter ever looked over and said, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't called to the ministry of passing out bread. I ain't called to the ministry of picking up bread and fish. Yeah, I, I'm not called to that ministry. I'm called to be an apostle. I'm called to write the New Testament. No, you know what you need to do right now? You need to, you need to go pick up some bread. Hmm. Let me just look around here. Why don't you go with me to Luke chapter five? <laughs> Let's go to Luke chapter five. This is one of those hidden nuggets. You know what a hidden nugget is, right? A hidden nugget is something he didn't show you while you were preparing. Luke chapter five, verse one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and the one belonging to Simon and watched this. The NIV says he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Another translation says he asked him to move the boat. 
Peter, I know that you're called to be an apostle. I know that you're called to be the rock. We just discovered that last week on the rock of the revelation that's gonna come to your life. I'm actually gonna build the New Testament church that is gonna last generations beyond you. But right now, what I need you to do is move a boat. I know that you're qualified to preach. I know that you can write, but what I want you to do right now, Peter, is move a boat. Show me that you can do the little things. Show me that you can do the unspectacular things. Show me that you can do the thing that everybody else can do, and I will elevate you to a place to do something that nobody else can do. Move the boat. It amazes me that so many of us aren't moving anything because we're not willing to move the boat. And what is that? It is put your hands to the thing that God is putting in front of your life right now. Whatever that is, we could take boat out and put pews, move the chairs. But you haven't heard me sing, Pastor Jade. Oh, if you would just give me an opportunity to get up there and, oh, you haven't heard me intercede, that's fine, but move a bench. Why don't you move a banner? Why don't you move a sign? And then if you're faithful and if you're steady and if you're diligent, I'll find out who you are. Because the way that you move a boat reveals who you're going to be when you're going to move the crowds. Because if you can move a boat with a humble heart, and if you can move a bench with a faithful heart, with a heart that doesn't complain, with a heart that doesn't criticize, with a heart that doesn't get judgmental, then when it's time for you to move the crowds, then when it's time for you to move people's emotions, then when it's time for you to move mountains in the spirit, I can trust you because I watch the way that you move a boat. The way that you move a bench is the way that you move into your ministry. I'm telling you, there's nothing in this place that's inconsequential. I'll talk more about that next week. Diakonia. It means those who execute the commands of another. I could spend 12 weeks on that one phrase. One of the reasons why a place like Antioch, one of the reasons why in the engineering of God, in the biblical government of God, one of the reasons why he has things like ministry leaders and authority and, and protocol, the reason why is because you can never walk in authority until you learn how to walk under authority. Until you learn how to execute another man's commands well, with a clean heart, with a pure heart, with a diligent heart, until you learn how to serve another man until an ownership mentality gets inside of you. An ownership mentality. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Until you learn how to serve that which another man owns, like you own it yourself, you're not qualified to own it yourself. And that's the thing that made Joseph stand out. We talked about Joseph a couple of weeks ago. He owned the assignment that was given to him in Potiphar's house. He owned the assignment that was given to him in the prison and he was training. You see, God was orchestrating so many things in the training process of Joseph's life because he knew that I've got to find a man who can own the stewardship of the wealth and the resources, not only the nation of Egypt, but if you read the scriptures of all the surrounding countries, I've got to find a man that I can trust who walks in an ownership mentality. How do you develop an ownership mentality? You develop an ownership mentality by owning in the right way that which belongs to another person. 
You own, this man right here, David Galvan, that man has an ownership mentality. This man comes over to me and he has now taken about 80% of the thinking off of my plate for things that are logistical. What do you think about this? Here's options that we can do. He comes up to me on a regular basis. You know what he's doing? He's developing his ministry to, to someday lead in a higher capacity. And you sit back and you fold your arms and you say, well, I'm not gonna do what you could be doing or you should be doing. You don't have an owner mentality. It's not an ownership mentality. It's not a sonship mentality. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I, thought, I thought you whispered my name. <laughs> First Timothy chapter three. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> Got the Eli syndrome up here. <laughs> First Timothy chapter three, go there with me, with me. I wanna talk a little bit about the office of the deacon. You know, this isn't something that we talk much about here at Antioch and it's not something that we talk much about in charismatic circles or in apostolic prophetic circles, but there are some denominations that do this well. They have a revelation of the ministry of the deacon. First Timothy chapter three, verse eight, it says in the same way, now, what's he referring to? If you'll read the previous verses, you'll read that Paul is giving admonition and instruction about elders or bishops or overseers. Everybody want to be a bishop? Nobody wants to serve. You know what the pathway is to overseeing? Serve. Everybody wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to be a servant. And what we need is we need leaders who carry the heart of servants. Not every servant's gonna be a leader, but every leader should be a servant. Verse eight, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. They are to be sincere. They are not to indulge in much wine. They are not to pursue dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Listen to this. These are characteristics of the chief servants of a house, the head of ushers, the head of security, the head of watchman prayer ministry, the head of sound, the head of worship, the head of children's ministry, every single one of them should have these characteristics operating in their lives. They ought to know and keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10, they must be tested. Some of my greatest mistakes that I've made in ministry is putting people into positions of authority when they haven't been tested yet. Tested. Can you handle the weight of authority? Can you handle the weight of responsibility? The greatest way that you can determine whether or not someone is qualified with the responsibility, let me rephrase this, the authority of a bishop is how they manage the responsibility of a deacon. Did you guys catch what I just said? Because if you are irresponsible in the small things, you are not qualified to carry authority in the great things. How are you going to hold someone else accountable for their lack of responsibility when they're looking at you and seeing irresponsibility in your own life? They must first be tested. If there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Here's our word. And the word deacon is interesting because the word deacon is diakonos. Diakonos. It sounds just like deacon. And then it talks about women. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, not slanderers, not gossip, not busybodies, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. 
And he must manage his children in his household well. You know what that's saying? It's saying that even in the administration of responsibility, that the training ground for responsibility in the church is your family. We're not even talking about leadership here. We're not even talking about bishops and apostles and prophets. We're talking about people that just want to move chairs. We're talking about people who just want to, you know, be on an intercessory team. How's your family? I'm not getting much help on that one. (laughs) Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the word for diakonos, deacon. It's one who is an attendant, one who is a servant, one who is a minister. A deacon is one who by virtue of the offices assigned to him by the church cares for the issues related to the church. In a very natural sense, a deacon is a waiter, one who waits tables. When you go to the restaurant, isn't it true that you pay attention to the people who serve you well and you talk about the people that don't? People are talking about you. Are you a good deacon? Or are you a sloppy deacon? Are you a careless deacon? Guys, let's get real here. We have to understand what I want to do. One of my targets in this series is that we must recalibrate our mentality of service in the house of God. It's not an afterthought. You'll never never hear me up here begging and pleading you. Would you please come and serve in the house of the Lord? This ministry is between you and God. I am providing an opportunity for you to mature. The opportunities of service in the church are opportunities for you to grow and for you to develop, for you to grow in your responsibility, for you to grow in your communication, for you to grow in your problem solving, for you to grow in your patience, in your perseverance. Every opportunity in this house is an opportunity to do that. And I've seen some people do it well, and I've seen a lot of people not do it well. Matthew chapter 20, nobody in here. <laughs> Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, let's look at the motivation of service. And then I've, I've got to hustle and get to Mark 6 because that's, that's where the good stuff is at. Mark, Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 25. We want to talk here for a few minutes on what our motivation of service is. There's about seven motivations of service. I'm going to talk very briefly on one. Our motivation for service is the character of Jesus. Verse 25 says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Say, not so with me. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your diakonos. Anyone who wants to be great must be your deacon, must be your minister, must be your servant must be your waiter. For whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be diakoneo, but to diakoneo. That's what it says. The Son of Man did not come for people to wait on him. The Son of Man did not come for people to minister to him, to bless him, to elevate him. The Son of Man did not come for people to serve him. He says, this is why I have come. I have come in the flesh. 
There's a whole biblical doctrine of why of the incarnation of Jesus and one of the many components of why Jesus came is because Jesus could not diakoneo us. He could not serve us to the degree that he could in the flesh if he remained in heaven. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Think about every morning when he got up early to pray, he was diakoneo, serving. Think about every time that somebody interrupted his schedule and he responded with patience and he touched them, diakoneo. Think about when he went to Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house and healed her and raised her up, diakoneo. On and on and on it goes. Every time he taught a message, diakoneo, he was serving them. When he prayed for them, when he healed them, when he spent time, when he hung out with Nicodemus in the night hours, diakoneo, diakoneo, he was serving them. He understood, he had a ministry assignment. He understood part of his development as the man part of the son of God was ministry. Don't miss this. Part of his development as a man was ministry. You need ministry. You need it. You need it. Think about children that are 30 years old, no responsibility, playing video games. Why is that? Because they've not stepped into ministry. The work of the ministry. Let me tell you now, ministry is work. For all of y'all who think I just hang out and play golf all the time, you talk with my wife and my children about that. It is work and it is hard work at that. The character of Jesus is our highest motivation of service. It is critical to God's training agenda in our lives. You need patience in your life, he'll probably send you to the children's ministry. You need creativity, he'll send you to the children's ministry. You need to get out of your box, he'll send you to the children's ministry. Come on. And listen, listen, I'm talking, listen, I'm a broken leader. We have broken structures. We have a broken staff. And I'm not saying broken like we're bleeding out. I'm saying that we're not complete. So even just dealing with the structure, even just dealing with the incomplete nature of our process of formation, you're gonna be trained. You're gonna mature. You're gonna develop because there's gonna be a thousand opportunities for you to get bitter, cynical, critical, judgmental. And part of you signing up for ministry is you encountering our weaknesses. All right, let's get to the fun stuff in Mark chapter six. Woo, I'm excited. Mark chapter six, verse 30. I don't have enough time to preach this way I want to. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Maybe I should save this for next week. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Peter learned his lesson. He started moving boats. But many who saw them recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and they said, hey, listen, we are miles away from the closest smash burger. And it's late, they're gonna close soon. 
So send these jokers away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and buy themselves something to eat, hashtag freeloaders. (laughs) Which in ministry you will encounter lots of. That was a hidden nugget too. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. What's in your hand? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish for 5,000 people. Maybe we could get communion if we break them up very, very small. (laughs) Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men only who had eaten was 5,000. I titled this Jesus's ministry crew in action. A couple of thoughts right here that we see. We see the ministry gift of benevolence. He said, you give them something to eat. We see the ministry gift of administration. He directed them, his ministry crew, to have all the people sit down in groups. Have you ever tried to get the attention of 5,000 people and, and, and get them to line up in some reasonable, organized manner? We had 50 guys yesterday, and, and, but poor Seth, he's up there trying to start worship, and every guy in the room is still talking. And then Dan comes with the gift of administration and says, hey, what is going on here? Hey, 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 we're about to worship, y'all. Let's start this thing over again. Gift of administration. You got to get the people lined up, attending. He gave them to his disciples, to his ministry crew to set before the people. They waited, they served, they were cognizant, they were giving of their time and their energy. Follow through, the ministry of follow through, the the ministry crew picked up 12 basketfuls. Now, this is interesting. Five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish, those are natural resources. 12 men, 12 men. I, I, I did this little chart here, 12 colon 5,000. That is a 12 to 5,000 ratio. Somebody do that math for me. That is like one person to every, I don't even know, like 800 people. Have you ever thought about that before? Of Jesus's 12 disciples, one of those guys had to attend to at least eight to 900 people. And that's only counting the men, not the women or the children. And the point here that we need to understand is that the need will always be greater than the amount of people who serve. Because the goal isn't just to serve the needs of this family, the goal is to multiply churches. The goal is to go into neighborhoods that are impoverished, spiritually, financially, educationally. The goal is to go into the gates of our city. Do you know where it is that we learn how to serve the needs of a city? It's learning how to serve the needs here. Because if we can't serve with love and patience and kindness and grace to the family of God, what makes us think we're going to serve people who are not in the family? Important ministry lessons here. Let's go back up to Mark chapter 6. Number one, ministry is tiring. How many of my volunteers can say amen to that? Any 5 a.m. people in the house? Any 6 a.m. people in the house? 
These guys who got up, some of them at 5.30 in the morning to cook bacon and pancakes. Why? They were ministering to the men of the house. Incredible things happened. And I want to believe that people came to a prayer meeting because they knew they were going to get bacon and gravy. They said, that's my ministry. Everett Ford showed up at Mike Rice's house, 6 a.m. with a smile and an apron. But ministry is tiring. Here's how I know this. In Mark chapter 6, look at verse 7. This gives us the backstory here. Calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Look at verse 12. They went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Verse 30. Then the disciples finished their mission trip. And if anybody's been on missions with AGM, you know that we work you to the bone. I mean, those are 18 hour days every day, nonstop. So imagine, imagine flying back from Guatemala, Tanzania, Philippines, Ukraine, Jordan, Egypt, wherever it is. And the day that you get back, all you're thinking about is your pillow and your bed and that steak that you've been wanting to eat that I can't wait to eat. God, thank you, Jesus. I don't I apologize. I don't know where that came from. I have no idea where that came from right there. All you can think about is just yourself. That's all you can think about is yourself. And here they're having a debrief. Jesus scheduled a debrief. The apostles gathered around and reported to him all they had taught. And then these stinking people. Do you not know what I've just came back from? Preaching, casting out devils, healing the sick. And now all of y'all want me to give something to you too. It's tiring. Number two, ministry is selfless. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, it says, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Well, listen, there's my biblical precedence. Didn't even have a chance to eat come back off the mission field, come back, and all of a sudden now thousands of people are demanding their time. It's selfless. It's selfless. Do you know why we get here early to set up chairs? Because it's selfless, because we know that people are gonna encounter God, and we know that people are gonna hear the gospel, and we know that people are gonna be trained in righteousness, and that's more important than me sleeping a little bit longer. You know why we fast and we pray? It's selfless. These guys who run sound meticulously after so much scrutiny, it's selfless. Everything these people do, those people on the third floor, selfless. Security team, most of these guys never hear a message preached or engage in worship. It's selfless. It's selfless. It's, it's putting what is best for others higher than what is desirable for yourself. Number three, ministry must be motivated or led, should I say, by rhythms. Look with me at verse 33. It says, uh, actually, it's still in verse 31. Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Verse 33 says, many who saw them recognized and ran on foot. What's going on here? There's this dynamic tension in ministry. If I lived in all out mode, like I know I'm capable of, I would burn out quickly. That's why we set up rhythms, six-month commitments. And if you haven't heard about a six-month commitment, our apologies. Our ministry directors and crew captains are supposed to be letting every volunteer know that your, the time that you sign up is for six months. And at the end of that six months, if you want to sign up again, man, praise God. But we don't want the black hole of 
infinite service happening here in this church. Here's another thing that happens in that rhythm is that within that rhythm, when we say, hey, can you sign up for six months? It gives you an opportunity to be a person of commitment. I can't tell you how many volunteers I've worked with in the past 20 years of ministry where people just, they just don't show up. I've had people, I've had people in leadership positions quit and leave the church, never say a word. People who are scheduled for children, don't call. Don't communicate. This is why I am saying that the opportunity of service is an opportunity to become developed into the character of Jesus. Number four, ministry must be the overflow of intimacy with Jesus. Look at verse 31. Jesus said to them, come with me to a quiet place. If your identity is in your service, if your identity, if your value, if your worth is in a position, it's in a leadership function, I'm just gonna, listen, we're not climbing any corporate ladders here so that we can validate our orphanhood. Jesus says, come with me. Because when you come with me, what will happen is, is you will minister his life to the people. Next week, I'm gonna talk with you about what makes it ministry. Because if someone else can do it without the spirit of God, the same thing that you're doing, then what makes it ministry? Oh man, y'all, y'all ain't even ready. All right, let me just finish this. Mark chapter six, verse 34. I'm, I'm blazing here, guys. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion. Ministry must be motivated by godly compassion, not soulish mercy. Not false mercy, not unredeemed mercy. Understand this, our ministry, our motivation for ministry is never the need of the people. Are you understanding this? Jesus was never motivated primarily by how great the need was. He was always motivated out of what the Father is doing and what the Father is saying. Right? The Son looks to the Father. The reason why Jesus fed thousands of people was because that's what the Father was doing. He didn't do it because he had a bleeding heart. Listen, if we're not careful, many times we'll minister out of our own need to be saviors. It's called the savior complex. We'll minister out of our, 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 our need to be needed. We will minister out of our need to be needed, not out of obedience. And sometimes what we'll do when we're operating in a false soulish mercy, we will actually short circuit someone's process in God. You may not supposed to be the one who's supposed to help that person because if you do, you might enable a lifelong generational cycle of brokenness in their lives. We'll talk more about that in the year. All right, let's just end right here. Uh, Mark chapter six, verse 37. Ministry is the result of offering to Jesus what is in our hand. You know what we're asking you guys to do? We're asking you to take what's in your hand. This is what Jesus says. He says, you give them something to eat. I'm reminded of Moses when Moses said, I stutter. He said, that's fine. What's in your hand? But, 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 but I, I've never led this many. That's, that's fine. Show me what's in your hand. Show me what's in your hand. What do you have to give? And in John's account, they actually found this fish 
and this bread from a little boy's lunch. Those jokers didn't even pack a lunch for themselves. Sometimes, hey, listen, maybe, maybe you just need to find out what's in somebody else's hand. <laughs> this is what he said. Hey, what do you have? And they said, this is what we have. We got a school building. Lord, I know that, I know that my voice ain't the greatest, but you can have it. Lord, I know I'm not the most qualified, but what I do have, you can have it. I can't tell you how many times I've said, God, take my education, take my experience, take my leadership, take the opportunities that I've had, take all the learning that I've had, take all the fathers and mentors in my life. It's all yours. It's all yours. Whatever you can do with it, whatever you can leverage with it, however you can multiply it, take all of my life. This is what he says. Ministry is when you give me what's yours and you let me multiply it. Graphic designers, let him multiply it. Video team, let him multiply it. Sound people, worship artists, let him multiply it. And it may not be the way that you expected it, just move a boat. Come on, stand to your feet this morning.